finding out that this person had passed away and it had all been so sudden and in this really like I mean they make movies out of stories like that like that sounds so above right and beyond like um but it was just like I knew like the day following finding out I was like Toriemos. and now it's time to play it back I'm Gia Jung and I'm John Asante Hello there, and welcome to our latest episode of Play It Back, the show where we talk about songs we love, hate, and appreciate. This is the place where our guests share their memories, their heartaches, transformations, and their traumas. They're all in the swirl with certain songs, whether heard as comfort in a dark time or serving as a companion in a lonely period. John, I think the time has come to tell our listeners how we met in the first place. Already? We're only a few episodes in. Well, you know, we could keep people guessing, but... Turns out that our guest was instrumental in bringing us together. Yeah, I guess. Right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's true. So we met our uh, guest for today, Dana Rossi, at a storytelling event. She had this show called The Soundtrack Series. She was doing this one show in defense of a certain genre or a certain artist. And she invited me to be on the show. And basically, I was trying to up my storytelling cred in the community and I couldn't say no to this because there are tons of artists that I could totally defend, but, uh, you know, I had to go with uh, one certain one, but I won't give it away yet. And I'd also told stories for The Moth and this other group called The Shed, and I went to the Soundtrack Series website and found out I could just email this storyteller named Dana Rossi, who also ran the Soundtrack Series, which was also a podcast, and I wanted to see if I could participate in an event that I saw in her calendar and it was centered around rap and hip-hop and she wrote back to me right away and she was like oh yeah you know it would be great to have you tell a story except that's really for professionals of the hip-hop industry and (laughs) it's it's a curated panel I was like wow but she invited me to the next couple shows and said check these out and so the in defense of basically that theme was for storytellers to defend an artist or a group that's just considered so terrible that nobody would ever defend them. And I thought, all right, I'm up to the challenge. So um, I showed up there in late March in the basement of Le Poisson Rouge. And then I remember seeing you on stage, and I definitely remembered yours because of all groups to defend. You defended Creed, and I was just baffled. Like, someone would get up and defend uh, Scott Stapp and his crew. But apparently you dug so deep into him, I learned all this new stuff about this guy and his really crazy past and that you legitimately liked their brand of... I do like their music. I still like the sound of it and I fully admit that, so... And, and you didn't like, you genuinely liked it, you didn't like it in an ironic way. No, not really. Sometimes I apply irony to it just to make others feel comfortable, <laughs> but I truly do like their music still. Um, And, you know, much of the nation liked it when it was popular. And now we all pretend like that never happened. That's true. But um, and and then I remember you got up on stage and started talking about your family's roots in Ghana and all the soul music you grew up with, the disco. And I was like, wow, this guy's legit. And then you did this sharp turn and started just glorifying ABBA. And I was like, (laughs) whoa. (laughs) And then that just all culminated in this crazy moment about when you met your girlfriend and were selecting titles of what to sing 
over karaoke. So anyway, after we were both done with this, we found each other and we were just talking. I think I was just um, I was just talking about how I was just getting to the storytelling scene and all these different events that I wanted to try. And then I had this sort of like idea of something even bigger that like I wanted to take on storytelling in my own right and kind of put on my own show. Right. And that was two years ago, actually almost exactly two and a half years ago. And even then you... I think you had the idea of the name play it back, but definitely the concept was there. So I remember we left that day being like, oh yeah, we'll keep in touch and we should try to go to these storytelling events. But I also couldn't shake the idea that you said about the podcast. And I remember reaching out to you and being like, I want to help. Like if you ever do this, like I just want to help in some way. It took a while to come together, but we finally did it. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history, and it's because of Dana Rossi. Yeah, because of Dana Rossi. Dana Rossi of the soundtrack series, without whom we might have never met. And now we have the great connector on our show. (laughs) Without further ado. I'm Dana Rossi, and I work in TV as a producer. I also run the podcast, the soundtrack series, who are some of the recent and or favorite guests of all time uh, who you've had on your podcast? Well, this one was a guest that I was really excited about, but for my own little like crazy nerdy reasons, but Ken Calais, who produced Rumors for Fleetwood oh, Mac and, uh, and Tusk and Mirage. But um, he came and talked about, you know, just told stories about making Rumors. And he brought all of these oh my gosh, all of these like isolated vocals and tracks from the recording sessions and all of these photos that were his personal photos. I mean, I just, I could not believe that this was happening at my show. You have so much access to all kinds of people who are real authorities on all types of music. Mm-hmm. And you obviously are personally very much into music, mm-hmm. right? So what kind of taste do you have in general, you think? Whenever somebody asks me, like, what am I listening to right now? Uh, sometimes that falls under a certain album. And then sometimes it comes down to, well, what playlist am I putting on really heavily and why? I have one playlist called Crazy with the Clicking. I don't know what that means. I think it just means, like, I'm going to put every song I think of in here. And sometimes some of my playlists are just one artist. And lately I have been going back to a playlist I have called Tori. Just Tori. None other than Tori Amos. And today we're actually going to talk about one of Tori's songs. Yes, Anastasia, which is the last track off of Under the Pink. And Under the Pink was released... 1994. Little Earthquakes had come before that, which is when she was introduced to a really wide audience. She had been in a band prior to that called Why Can't Tori Read? That went nowhere. Um, And then she released Little Earthquakes in 1991, and that's the one that kind of blew up for everybody. But I remember my friend Tina, her older sister Tanya, had Little Earthquakes. And I just remember seeing the album, but not really listening to it and being like, what is, is this Madonna? Then I don't know what this is. So I knew of her, but I hadn't started to listen to her. So in 1991, I was 13. I about three years onto that, and that's when I started listening to Tori Amos, and that was, would be when Under the Pink came out. I remember buying it on cassette. 
do remember consciously deciding I'm going to go and buy this tape under the pink. No. I think I remember either it came, and this is foggy, but either I bought it as part of those Columbia House things, and I was just oh, like, yeah. and this one, along with all my 10,000 Maniacs and this Enya tape that I really want. True story. Or <laughs> I bought it on its own. I have a feeling it was the Columbia House thing, though. That really makes sense because just the same, sometimes you can remember with total clarity premeditating buying an album. Oh yeah, when it came to her follow-up from Under the Pink then, which was Boys for Pele in 1996, that album turns 20 this year, I remember consciously buying that one because I had gone on a college visit and then I remember after that, because it went well as a treat, like my parents took me to a record store and that's what I picked out because I knew I wanted it. Yeah, so for people who don't remember this, they used to, and I wonder if they still do. Columbia House just went out of business last year. Whoa. I don't know that they were still doing that exactly, that, you know, eight CDs for a penny or whatever, but I, this was, actually, I had talked about this on Soundtrack Series last year because I was like, they just now went out of business? They say it's free, but it's not really free because... Oh, no. (laughs) Oh no, because then you get locked into this contract and it's so hard to get out of it. And you have to keep paying for shipping and the shipping prices or was then more than what it would cost to buy CDs in the CD store, which... (laughs) It was a complete ripoff, but also it was a terrible business model because then you could just cancel your membership or just not pay for anything and you still got 12 freed CDs or tapes. Right. It was terrible. But (laughs) it may have brought you... Under the Pink. Tapes were always so weird. If you started playing one track and you were like, "Mm, I don't like this, it was like, okay, now we we fast forward and stop. Is is it? No, it's still that song. Okay, now it's that. No, no, I went too far. Now rewind. Anything else you can do, you can do that with records, you can do that with CDs, you can, you know, whatever. But tapes, it was like, if you didn't like a track, you were just going to kind of listen to it. Gotta listen. And I listened to it all the way through and I did like it. And I knew that these songs were going to eventually really catch on. But the first one that really grabbed me happened to be the last one, which was Yes, Anastasia. Did it grab you on the first listen through of the album or did it just kind of grow? Yeah, yeah, because that was what was so strange is that the first listen, the last track would be the one that was like, whoa. And of course, now I, I love pretty much every song on that album. But that was the first one to really grab me. One, it's 10 minutes long. Two, it has all these different emotions throughout and colors and what feel like movements. You know, in high school, you would, or I would, grab onto a phrase in a song or a particular lyric and then just apply that to all of your high drama. And oh, the yeah. whole, like, we'll see how brave you are, we'll see how fast you've been running. You know, I could apply that to whatever nonsense was going on and had nothing to do with. <laughs> the song was actually about. What did this song come to represent to you? Or what does it evoke even? Does it still bring up the same feelings that you had then? Well, that's the beauty of Tori Amos. I was just telling somebody about this last week, is that no matter what her songs are actually about, and sometimes it is anyone's guess, it's the emotion that you're keying into. So it just applies. If you are feeling very emotional, if you are feeling very upset, if you need something, music to hug you or music to hold your hand or to lean on, she's great for that because what you're really accessing is the emotion that she's putting out. I guess in high school, 
I would apply that to feelings about boys or not thinking I was good enough for anything or, you know, just your, your usual high school insecure nonsense. Yeah. But it helped to get you through those times. and Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you, I don't know, somehow when you can hide in music in that way, uh, not only is it comforting to you, but then you feel like you have a knowledge of it that nobody else has. And then you feel superior. And that's what every kid in high school wants. Do you know what this song's about? I don't. I don't either. I almost don't. I don't actively seek that out. Like for somebody like Stevie Nicks, I love, I mean, I love Stevie Nicks. That's another big one for me. Like I'll sometimes actively look up like, what what was she talking about here? For Tori, I almost don't want to know because I want it to be as applicable to me and all of my whatever as possible. Yeah, come to think of it, I don't either. And the only one people overly discuss, I think, is me and a gun. Like everyone knows that's what that's about. Or in others, her, her lyrics are just almost really explicit then they turn super abstract so you're like oh that was definitely about this she deals in broader themes like she's talking about religion you know or she's talking about feminism or you know i mean but it's not like this is exactly about this incident do you associate any time period or event or kind of like a turning point in particular with this song it's just one that's always sort of been there. That whenever it comes on, I don't skip past it. Whether I had been listening to it on tape, when I graduated to CD, when it's been on the record, or when it's on my phone. I just, I don't usually skip past it, even if it is 10 minutes. I guess it would have to be almost a comparative thing. Like, what made you choose this song from all the others? Because you're into so many different types of music mm-hmm. and talk so frequently and in such detail with people who either create music or love all kinds of music themselves so what makes this song be like the one or one of the ones well i guess just because i was listening to it recently and the reason i turned to it is again she applies when you are feeling emotional no matter what it is that has happened it's just you know you want to go and turn to tori amos and um A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine from high school passed away. It was sudden, too. It was an accident. He drowned. He was in Costa Rica celebrating his 40th birthday with his fiance, somebody who was going to become his fiance on that trip, and his friends. And they, and and one of the friends got caught in the, I don't know if it was undertow or riptide, but um, he went out to save her, and he did. But then he drowned. Uh, And it was just shattering. I hadn't seen him. I mean, it's been 20 years since I've seen him. He had found me on Facebook. uh, And then he was going to come up and visit New York a few years ago. uh, And then we just like couldn't figure out a time that we could get together. But you know, we would like comment on things on Facebook. It's that kind of thing where you're still kind of connected to everybody that, you know, you you want to be connected to in a way. But it was somebody that I really liked in high school. And this was just a shock. My mom and I went to the memorial and just, you know, seeing his family and everything. It was just, I mean, it was really heartbreaking. But finding out that this person had passed away and it had all been so sudden and in this really, like... I mean, they make movies out of stories like that. Like, that sounds so above right. and beyond. Like, um, But it was just like, I knew, like, the day following finding out, I was like, Tori Amos. Like, that's, that's what I want to listen to right now. And, like, just 
wow. all day for a couple of days. Yeah. And so that's why. And then I picked Yes Anastasia because that's a, one of the ones that I always like to lean on. Thanks for sharing that. I definitely yeah, sure. didn't express that. No, I, I mean, I didn't expect that. That, I that, was, that would have come up okay. again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. You understand the power of music when time passes and situations change and mm-hmm. you can still, as you said, lean, lean on the song. Well, yeah. And that's why I kind of picked this because it is that, that thing about Tori Amos just being good for your difficult emotions whether that was in high school when I was worried about what boy doesn't like me who ignored me in the hall what girls were being mean to me like am I too fat am I too dark am I too whatever you know and like Tori Amos is good for all that and then again as an adult Tori Amos is good for you know something that is really terrible you know and and again you're just accessing the emotion like you know her emotional output uh, and it's the same amount of comfort. When was the first time you saw her perform? That was actually uh, 1999. I went to see her on a double bill with Alanis Morissette. Oh my God. At what was at the time called the Tweeter Center. It's in Camden, whatever that, whatever that venue is now. Um, it's where like big acts in Philly, I think, go to perform, or at least it was at that time. Tori went first, and then Alanis went second. It was completely bizarre. Still, it must have been awesome. Yeah, and I I didn't particularly want to stay for Alanis Morissette, but the friend I was with, my friend Tyler, was like, well, I do, I want to stay, and I was like, all right. (laughs) But it was still, she put on a great show. The most recent, which may be the last, just because I'm like, I'm not going to top this, I'm not going to top this. When NPR, when All Songs Considered did the live stream from Le Poisson Rouge, I got to see that because soundtrack series was at Le Poisson Rouge at the time, and I went to um, Brett, who was the manager there, and then uh, Dustin, who was the marketing director there, and I was like, what am I going to do? I was like, what am I going to do to be on this on this list? And they were just like, okay, you can come see Tori. And uh, they let me go right in, and I went in first, actually. Because like, they all kept seeing me, and they're like, come on in, come on in. And the, and Milton, the, the bouncer outside, he knew who I was, and he's like, man, what are you, why are you standing on this line? But yeah, like I was right in front, this is just a couple of years ago. I want to say this was 2012 or 13. She played at Le Poisson Rouge that recently? Oh, yeah. That's a small venue, too. It was fantastic. And it was her. And then it was like her, you know, strings and just amazing. I'm and she was in what looked like pink pajamas. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> but it was like pink <laughs> silk, what looked like PJs. Did you guys make eye contact or like any? When she first walked in, because I was like the first person she saw. I mean, I was sitting right there. And then it's so funny, my friend Jason, who lives in DC, he loves her too. And like during the show, like my phone goes up, like the text goes up and he's like, I see you. (laughs) Because he was watching the stream. And I text back, I'm like, am I shoving hummus in my face? Because that's what I was doing. He's like, no, you're good. You, you were eating at the because they well that's the thing it's like you had to order food and stuff like that and I was like all right all right I'll do that I was so grateful just to be able to to go and see her there and LPR was very good to me let's just put it that LPR was wonderful and I loved them all there yeah so like you know you had to order food and stuff like that but this there was this weird thing where the timing worked out strange I don't think she wanted people eating while she was playing the food came out when it came out and so like it's just sitting there and so people were like. Did she say like, something really? like... No, no, she didn't uh, at all. I mean, she really... I don't know how much she could see. You really can't see that far. It was really funny. She kept ducking under the piano, and you would think like, oh, she's doing her 
artsy Tory thing, but actually she was either putting gum in her mouth or putting on lip gloss. I was close enough to see what she was doing. Weird. Yeah. Did she play Yes, Anastasia that Did she night? play that that night? I don't think she played that that night. I feel like I've only seen her play that once. And I think it was in Philly uh, in 2001. I think. You're at NBC producing these documentaries. And then I was going to say, do you ever feel like Tori Amos would provide a good soundtrack? <laughs> and would you, would you ever do that? Because you have the kind of the creative power though to select a lot of music but it doesn't have to be about not for that not for that I don't Uh, and a lot of times I mean I mean that's that involves like royalties and and also the 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 documentaries uh and the kinds of documentaries that um Peacock does are crime or history uh so not really there are times though I do meet certain victims or rather like the families of victims um, and they're, they're victims too. And sometimes I do wonder like, what music does this person listen to? And this person could do with something like Tori Amos. There's a girl I'm thinking of specifically who had lost her mother and her mother was murdered. And, um, she said something very astute actually in conversation, not on the, not in her interview when she didn't know what the show was really like, what are we doing? And she, she said, I mean, is, is the man who did this to my mother, who's rotting in jail? Uh, you know, is he, is he going to get to talk? And I'm like, no, we're not really going to do that. She said, I just don't want it to be like a moment of, for him to, you know, get his moment of fame and everything. And I said, you know, that's uh, very Yoko Ono of you. Mm-hmm. And she kind of looked at me. She's 19. So I was like, well, here we go. And I said, do you know who Yoko Ono is? And she's like, no. And I said, do you know who John Lennon was? And she says, no. I said, do you know who the Beatles were? She said, yes. I said, okay. <laughs> I was like, I know. Oh my God. I was like, oh, we went to a dark Having place. A we went to a dark place. No, but I, I was like, okay, well, John Lennon was one of the Beatles and uh, Yoko Ono was his wife. John Lennon was murdered in 1980. And every year Yoko Ono kind of, first, she never speaks the name Mark David Chapman. She always speaks like whenever he's up for parole and says that he should absolutely be denied and he continues to be denied parole. But um, her big thing was that she does not use his name because she does not want his name on people's lips, particularly not hers. She does not want him to be famous for doing that to John Lennon. And and she's right. And then so I when I had told this girl that and she was like, oh, wow. And then it just it did. It made me kind of think, you know, uh, what music should she lean on? I mean, she's 19 and you know, I remember myself as a teenager, um, but like, you know, having lost your mother too. And I thought Tori Amos. Wow, you actually thought that? Like anytime I come across girls younger than me or whatever else and the conversation goes toward music, I think to myself, like, you've got to go through your Tori phase. Even if it only does last a phase, like you've got to have that. I feel, I feel like it's important for girls in general. Thank you so much, Dana Rossi, for sharing your story with us. You know, this is really kind of a personal treat for me to be reeled back to when I first discovered Tori Amos, thanks to the guidance of gals who are a bit older than me, whether in actual age or, you know, just more emotionally mature. 
And it was just like Dana said, Tori's music had a way of busting my heart wide open and healing it at the same time. And the music's very evocative. It was just an all-purpose companion and soothing force and still wields the same powers over me today and over my emotions. And this effect is well known, by the way, among Tory fans who aren't always women. Now, it's making me think that I need to check out more Tory Amos because I'm not going to lie, I'm not... I really haven't explored her discography so much, but I think I am convinced, especially after talking with you and hearing you talk with Dana. Everyone can find something at least to appreciate in her music. It really is fine music that she makes. Now, what sort of mood do you think I should be in when I first listen to Tori Amos? Like, what should I be doing? I think you should just be maybe beginning your day in the winter when it's too cold to go outside. And you're just feeling a little bit um, paralyzed, in a sense. <laughs> and just uh, relax and turn on some Tori and just see what happens. All right. Play It Back is produced by me, Gia Jung. And me, John Asante. Amos Rose composed our steadfast theme music, which we hope you enjoy as much as we do. And if you like this episode, subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. You can also follow us on SoundCloud for future episodes. You can find us under the name Play It Back Radio. We're also on Facebook at Play It Back and Twitter at Play It Back Radio. If you're curious to explore Tori Amos further or read up on the intriguing Dana Rossi, head on over to our website at playitbackradio.tumblr.com. And what about you? Do you have a story about a song that's been there in your life at a really tough time? Or any thoughts you'd like to share about your memories and association with movies or about our show? If so, just drop a line to your friends John and Gia with a J at playitbackradio at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.